welcome to From the Library with Love, a podcast for anyone whose life has been changed by reading. Libraries are about so much more than books. On National Poetry Day, Karen Smith from the National Poetry Library in London's South Bank opens the doors to her magical little library. I really jumped at your um, uh, very kind offer because I've had I've interviewed so many librarians now who work at public sort of municipal libraries, which is great. Mm. But now I'm looking for things that are a little bit sort of different, I suppose. Um, yeah. Perhaps a bit more specialist or niche. Um, yeah. Or sometimes even just not actually official libraries. Like I spoke to a woman the other day who who ran a sort of unofficial library in a bag wash in Peckham and a laundrette, <laughs> which I oh, really wow. loved. Yeah, because she said, actually, you know, it was very, all the women that came loved it and really used it. And and one woman told me it sort of sparked this lifelong love of reading from the bag wash in Peckham, <laughs> which I love because <laughs> it just shows that libraries, like the one I'm writing about in Bethnal Green during the war, pop can pop up in all manner of places and still have the same albeit unofficial, the same impact on people's lives. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. So I'd love to just find out a bit more about you, Karen. What's your mem- your childhood memories of your library? Yeah, um, it's definitely been a big feature in my life. So I grew up in South Norwood, in South London, and I, I went every Saturday to the library and would take about 10 books out and come home. And we were quite poor, you know, so it was it felt like a real... A big treat yeah. you know to have these books and read them and and so it was like a place of wonder and awe for me and then I didn't really know what to do I it did English at uni but I didn't really know what to do with that you know in terms of a career but I just kept coming back to libraries they were always the space for me that was meaningful and safe and yeah. so I, I felt like um, it's that kind of profession where people don't always think of it initially oh I want to be a librarian you know but I I yeah but I had actually written and we did this book at school I made with a friend you know um you know we we made books that were that the teachers sewed together and we made these beautiful marble covers this was at primary school oh wow and so I wrote I wrote a story and my friend illustrated it and then at the back we we wrote about what we wanted to do in our you know in life I still got it and it says for me, it says, you know, Karen would like to have her own bookshop or work in a library. No. So, even, so it was always on my mind. Yeah, I felt really lost when I was thinking, what should I be or what do other people, you know, my mum had this idea of like, <sighs> you know, what is a good career, like be yeah. a teacher, be, you know, she had these like, and even like she was an accountant, be an accountant, you know, I was like, I really don't want to do that. I remember a careers advisor telling me, I should be a hairdresser. Nothing against hairdressers, but I didn't want to be. And she kept saying, but you should yeah, be a hairdresser. Yeah. It, funny. Isn't it weird? But I do think that's changing, maybe. But, you know, the perception... Well, I don't know, actually. Is it changing the perception of librarianship as a career? I'm not I'm not so sure, actually. I think that it's not keeping pace with my experience of being a librarian. It's right. very... I experience it as very dynamic. You know, I've had experience in public libraries, which is perhaps not so dynamic. But in my national library role, I feel like, and, and in other and other organisations where I've done library work, I feel like it's so varied, it's so interesting, it's it's so many skills that people people who meet me and say, "What do you do?" They really have this extremely narrow view of oh, librarianship, yeah. and yeah. I don't, I just don't think we're very good projecting that, you know, yeah, projecting I, what it means. Yeah. 100% I think there's this perception that librarianship and librarians are sort of dusty archaic 
you know, mm. shipping kind of people when in reality yeah. what I've seen for the people I've interviewed in the libraries that I visit as an author is so far removed from that they're they're real yeah. people people you know extroverts often and yeah. with huge yeah. set and massive yeah. emotional intelligence and frontline skills and that, that yeah. you probably wouldn't find in many other careers but yet yeah. for some reason we're yeah. still stuck you know all those years ago in our perception yeah. but that's what I'm hoping yeah. to try and remove with this book that I've written but also with the articles around it in any publicity that librarianship is so far removed from our, our old perceptions of it and I love that word you use dynamic mm. as well because I would definitely concur with that you know like the social workers counsellors events planners confidants you know they have this yeah. huge range of experiences and, and skills that they bring to bear that transform lives you know in, in such a way mm. that I, I think we're never really like I think, you know, especially the powers that be in authorities see libraries as sort of places where people just go and get books or download stuff, but it's actually so much mm. more than that, I realise. Yeah. In terms of its value to the community. So Definitely. Just, just going back, how did you then, so you, you made the decision or you, you thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. How did you then mm. step into it? How did you get into it? Firstly, I got a part-time job at the National Archive. Really enjoyed that. And then I, I got a full-time job at the London Library, which is a private subscription library in, in St James's Square in London. And it's one of, it's a very iconic library. It's very, it's huge in a Georgian townhouse. It's, it's got an incredible collection historically as well. And lots of um, journalists, members of parliament, writers, lots, lots of people use it, but people with, you know, with enough money to subscribe. It's not cheap to use it. So that really opened my mind to, you know, what a library could be. And yes, you know, I do want to commit to this profession. And so then I went to study at library school at UCL and they they taught us, you know, all again, it's like a real variety, a kaleidoscope of skills. You know, we had on one hand, they were teaching us how to make websites mm. um, on the, and think critically about sources, you know, online sources as well as more traditional ones yeah. and then on the other hand you know you could you could study medieval manuscripts and what what, what a medieval librarian did you know right. and so uh, you know it was really a huge subject area I worked at the Courtauld Institute and History of Art College wow. which is part of the University of London I've gone back to Goldsmiths where I did my first degree and worked there for a while during the pandemic and yeah now I work at the National Poetry Library and my, my boss is, is oh, just been on the BBC radio. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've done teaching, I've done publishing work. Um, wow. I tried other things because because I was a bit confused, like as I said before, about what is it I want to mm. do. Uh, but it's just nothing felt as natural to me as, yeah. as the librarianship, you know, the research and supporting research and just being in that environment. But yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, boss at the National Poetry Library, he's... Yeah, he's on the radio lately talking about our service for finding lost quotes. Like you said about touching people's lives, you know, people are contacting us all the time. Even today, I've done two inquiries, people that are looking for poems that they can remember lines in the poem, but they don't know who it's by or they can't remember the rest of it. And sometimes they're looking for... um, using this poem at a funeral like grandfather's funeral I've had a lot of funerals and blowing my mind (laughs) thinking about this yeah (laughs) but people are so touched you know I mean I mean not even if not even if it's for a funeral but we had someone who 30 
40 years ago asked us to find a poem. And the poem is actually called Remembrance by, by a novelist, Ray Bradbury. And recently they asked us again and I managed to track it down. And they were, again, they were like, oh my God, I can't, I, I'm so pleased that I've asked you again after 30 years to find this poem. And what were they um, using it for? Do you know? Oh, she said that she would let us know she's using it for a project. It sounded very mysterious and interesting. She wow. says, I'm making some artwork and, and doing a project. And I need, really needed this poem and to be part of that. She says, and I'll share, I'll share the work with you when I produce it. So we're looking forward to hearing about that. Yeah, that must come with enormous satisfaction, job satisfaction. Yeah. Because you're directly, yeah. in a really tangible way, influencing people's lives, enriching them. What enormous... The individuals. Yeah, yeah. Also, we've had the Mayor of London asking us recently for... Oh, really? Um, what for? It's about hope. Yeah, because we uh, there was the remembrance service for the Royal British Legion after 100 years. They're celebrating 100 years of the Royal British Legion. And they wanted to poet poems about hope uh, to include in their service. And they were wondering if there were female soldiers that had been serving who had written about hope. Quite a long shot. But in the end, we gave them some more general poems. They don't always get back to us, people, and tell us no, what they've they get done. No, they get on their busy. Yeah. And what was he asking yeah. for it for, for a service about? It was um, uh, celebrating 100 years of the Royal British Legion. Oh, OK. Um, but it was for remembrance, that, you know, for, for remembrance. generally also for remembrance, the remembrance service. For, yeah. You remind me very much of a lady that I interviewed who works at the, at the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust Library, a library, obviously in Stratford. And, you know, she says she has this encyclopedic knowledge of all the wonderful rare manuscripts and books and so forth they have. And she said, like, I'm a, she used this really wonderful description. She said, I'm a facilitator of joy. Um, because she said, oh. I know all this. She goes, I know all this wonderful <laughs> stuff. And she goes, I like, I'm the conduit to it. I open it up to other people. This is what you're doing with your poetry, I suppose, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is very joyful. It's lovely. Thanks for sharing that. That's lovely to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so how long have you worked there at the National Poetry Library? My job title at the moment is support librarian, but I joined in 2014 as um, a cataloguer. We, you know, there was a lot of sort of disruption because of the pandemic. Of course, yeah. So I, I sort of was made redundant and then came back again. And who funds the library? Is it private or is it how, who sort of runs the library? It was set up by the Arts Council in 1953, and so the Arts Council mainly they they fund it for the majority, and then but we're based at the Southbank Centre in the Royal Festival Hall, so the rest of it is we're supported by the Southbank Centre. Okay, so we're not for profit, and we do have we've developed our own small ways of generating income. Because it's always you know it's always an issue with libraries that yeah, yeah. you know it's it's easy for for you know the parent organization to say well you're you know you're you're such a big cost and then not to see the benefit not to yeah. see the non-monetary benefit so and that we've is, had that particular yeah problem. and I think you've hit upon the crux of it there is that it's very easy to close a library but some as one man said to me he said there's no money saved in closing a library yeah um, he said but you will immediately feel its effects because it's not it's very hard to put a tangible financial yeah you know cost benefit to a library but you yeah. but you will feel it once it's gone in terms of you know pregnancy crime drug addiction so forth yeah the community will be directly impacted by the removal of that and once Definitely. gone it's impossible, impossible to replace and I think he's right yeah. I think in this world where we always try to put a financial 
benefit attach some sort yeah. of benefit to everything you can't often do that can you especially no. because its effects are much more subtle than that I think exactly no you're absolutely right and I mean even Silip have done great work on this and um, you know they've done some research and, and quant- they're trying to quantify you know what it does for the economy because yeah you're absolutely right you know that there's that argument of the non-material benefit um but because because people in our society think so much the people that hold these the power and the de- decision making um they think so much in terms of finance yeah that, that Silip have said you know that they've worked out that for every pound you put in you invest in a library you generate five to seven pounds back into the economy in terms of you know people's yeah. economic well-being so not that you should yeah, even just justify in, it like that no no you, to, yeah. you know it's a part of our democracy isn't it but exactly yeah why should you have know, to do that but unfortunately that's the world we live in now under this government yeah. isn't it? that everything has to have yeah. a, a sort of stamp on it almost but but that's what always i think that's the biggest thing that i've realized this research in this book is that there is no other space like a library on our high street is there that, yeah. that's free safe cradle you can go from exactly. cradle to grave that you can access yeah. you, know, you can travel the world and access free trusted information there is nowhere else like no. that and and that's sort of what sets us apart as a civilized society isn't it and then when that's gone, exactly what are we yeah you can walk straight into a library you know a public library and you know you're a human being that but you yeah. know we can help you and you're not you're not immediately someone who is a you know a customer like I always try and resist that phrase you know customer you know you're a patron you're a reader you're yeah a lovely word yeah (laughs) human being you're not being sold anything you're or as one other man who told me I interviewed who works at the archives in Tower Hamlets he says I'm a what was his description of himself he said I'm a co-pilot into the park (laughs) because he helps people and archives I love these little descriptions of librarians (laughs) themselves and the way that they enable and enrich people that yeah. their daughters like the patrons but not, not customers but so um so you've been at the poetry library since 2014 yeah so when you first joined did what was your knowledge of poetry like <laughs> oh well um quite good I'd say because I I'm quite unusual in that I I did a English degree and there but then I decided to do um a degree in modern poetry after that so master's degree because it's quite a niche subject and you know I did it only with the support of the Arts and Humanities Research Council because I applied for funding and was fortunate to get that so um, there was only three people doing that course so I, I never thought I would work at the I was aware of the poetry library because of my studies but I never thought I would get the chance to work there because it just seemed too much of a dream <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, um, <laughs> but when this job came up I I thought that's it that's my job <laughs> yeah I mean my god talk about slipping into a warm bath for you <laughs> <laughs> well, um, not that I you know it's always something to learn but it's just that it's my passion you know yeah so how many how many books are there in a poetry library 250,000 200 yeah it's, it's it's the world's largest collection of contemporary poetry yeah. so how many poems would you say that the library contains Wow, that's a good question. It must, be that, impossible. it must be that multiplied by 30 or something. <laughs> you know, thought, be, millions. millions of poems yeah, floating around a room. And what's, I'd love to, I, I will, if it's all right with you, I'd love to come and visit um, 
Oh yes, please do. I'd like to see what is this. What does it feel like when you walk into the library? Oh, it's quite a long room, but it's got this beautiful view. It's very light and airy, and it's got an exhibition space at the front with a beautiful view over the river, oh. the River Thames. It's yeah, it's very bright. It's got rolling stacks with rainbow. We've just we've just refurbished them, so they're, they're rainbow colours. So it's very colourful. You know, like other reading rooms can feel really voluminous and you can feel very self-conscious, but it feels quite intimate, I'd say. Okay. It's quite, the reading spaces are quite, we've got some where you've got individual desks and it's quite quiet and, mm. and private, but it, it's quite a small space, really. We, we wanted to get our own space, but that didn't happen, you know, mm. um, so we're still part of the Royal Festival Hall. And so, so it's funny because we hear announcements of people saying, you know, that this performance is ready to begin, you know. And... Oh, really? <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> and we get, we get some actors and, and musicians coming in, you know, some people from TV as well. You know, someone oh, will come really? into the office. Yeah, because I or work in the back office. Or just by... Well, usually they... they... They, they do it before they're performing or before they're, you know, meeting some another actor or something or rehearsing or, oh, and wow. they'll come in and, and one of my colleagues will come into the office and say, oh, that, that famous actor's in or that famous poet, John, you know, John Agard or oh, uh, we had John Hegley the other day and, you know. Because wow. you're next um, to the National Theatre or you're part of the National, or in the same we're, place. We're very close. Yeah, National Theatre and the, the British Film Institute are very close by. And we have we also host other events like red carpet events. So it's often like lots of celebrities floating around. Oh, but wow. generally it, it doesn't it feels very, you know, like we absolutely welcome anyone. In my head, it's a public library, but really yeah. it's a special library. But we, we, we you know we allow anyone to join in it free and anyone in the UK can can join that's um, amazing yeah I can't believe I've never heard of this before now um, lots of people say that yeah, yeah I bet they do I bet <laughs> <laughs> so what are there any people that stand out to you that come in I mean obviously you've done lots of finding poems for people for weddings and, and funerals and memorial services and so forth any people that stand mm. out to you as having walked through the doors where you really remembered them and thought wow what where you felt able to really help them? I don't work out on the front desk, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, John Hegley came in the other day and my colleague came in and said that he he was helping him. But we, I mean, we have lots. And Simon Armitage, you know, the current Poet Laureate, is, is a, a big supporter. Yeah, so he's definitely been. We've got an artwork, somebody donated, a beautiful portrait of him that we've just hung up in the library. Caroline Duffy, the previous one too. I've met her and yeah, um, fantastic presence she's got. Oh, Raymond Antrobus, who's just one. He's he's a very regular user of the library who used us before. He, he sort of shot to fame now. You know, he's he's been nominated for huge prizes, but he's been using the library for a long time before this. One of my colleagues, Nina Powell, but she's a library assistant, but she's also been nominated for a big prize. So lots of us are poets as well. Oh, really? Not all of it. So lots of us have published. Yeah, Chris McCabe is the poetry librarian and he's written lots of books, not just poetry. He's written a lot about poets as well. He's he's writing a series of books about dead poets in London. So cemeteries and spaces in London. He's got a fascination with the history of London as well. We have another performance poet on our team as well. You know, he's he's done lots of gigs, you know. So I was with a lady yesterday called Sally Flood, who's in her 
she's it's been 96 now from Whitechapel and she's a performing poet she's um she was part of the East End Basement Writers and she goes she's, okay. she's getting a little bit too old now but she I might have to bring her in because she would love it there she's such a wonderful her, her name poet. sounds familiar to me so Sally probably... Flood. she's performed at the Globe before yeah. a real East okay. End Cockney but great you know just yeah. lived through so much and it is such a wonderful poet and such a wonderful performer as well whenever yeah. I do a book launch she comes along and reads a poem about whatever that specific subject is so I'll have to I'll have to see if I can bring her along because she would just bring her alive stepping in there yeah I'm sure yeah, that'd be fantastic sort of how I suppose every day varies does it for you when you think about the sort of rhythms of your work and your job yeah. I suppose, do you like like one of the things that so many people say to me is that you don't as librarians I know it probably differs slightly with you is that that they say we never know what each day holds so like for example I was doing yeah. um, about a month ago and the librarian there was like I just don't know you know I come in she said the other day I had, I'm sure you don't deal with this so much but she said I had a, a man who had taken an overdose in the foyer and the week before yeah. that yeah. I had school children the week before that I was dealing with a man who was clearly grieving but was very angry she said you just because yeah. you get a vast swathe of humanity to do. She says, I never know yeah. what the day holds. And she never really has the time to do all the stuff that she'd like to do either. What's it like for you on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I would agree with that in that, that that element of the work, you know, the dealing with people is always the more dynamic part, mm-hmm. you know, the bit that, you know, you can't and never, you can never anticipate what they'll ask you. It's quite humbling because you feel like you never you're never mastered you know the the work because they can come along and ask you something you've never thought of or that you know you're always finding out on their behalf finding out new things and some people have unrealistic expectations as well so you have to manage that you know some Mm. I've had an inquiry lately where somebody wanted me to advise them almost like a consultant you know how do I get this poem I've written this poem about it was another sort of war poem he was writing about women and women's experience of the first world war the women that were left behind and um, not the ones that were involved in war right, I'm with you. but you know the kind of things they went through they called them the surplus women because they oh, were right. married oh, they were right. left behind they didn't have yeah yeah. yeah so I thought that was great that he wanted to commemorate them you know he wants people to think about not just you know the people obviously the people that sacrificed but you know I sort of think well, where where where's my function that's kind of on the border of you know, I can signpost for him. I can say, well, try, you yeah. know, you could go down this route of publishing, you could go down performance, you could approach this website. So I'm signposting, but I feel like he's he wants me to advise him and I, I'm sort of trying That's to resist doing that because it's not really appropriate. Yeah, and I don't want to be responsible for no, you know, no, 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 exactly having that kind of function. And but I do want to, it's all really about helping people, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, you know, and giving them information want, and tools is really what I yeah, without prejudice exactly. what he does with it. But you know, I think you know you you've got a great grasp of the job because of the role of the librarian. Because like I I think so much of it is for me is about listening. Mm. and supporting people and when you said about the social element the social work almost yeah. it really does feel like that especially in, when I've worked in a public library you yeah, know that yeah. you're I just think it's so important like the people especially now in the in the post-pandemic world people want to be heard you know they want to they want to just make that contact and um, so my job you know it, it's very a lot of it is routine and detailed because I'm a cataloger so I do the records for the book so that people can find them so I have to be accurate I have to be detailed I have to think 
as well now you know it, there's so much happening in in the cataloging world as well because we're thinking about decolonization about race uh, gender all oh, the yeah. all the all the new things that are happening in society and trying to reflect that you know, yeah. trying to be representative of people not this dusty old librarian you know that, that is irrelevant yeah we want to be current we want to say you know, we represent you we represent the community this is this is your knowledge about about yeah. your heritage and and to sort of make sure that we're including people and being careful about the terminology that we use so it's all like for me it's like really exciting uh, and really relevant yeah because it's a good time to be in on the cusp of that change isn't it to how yeah. people you look back in 100 years how you reflect and choose to yeah. portray poetry which is obviously a, a, a sort of mirror or a lens to society isn't it I mean yeah exactly. how, how do you describe poetry what, like what is good poetry what's the definition of poetry I suppose yeah it's a really good question <laughs> rather it's rather it's fundamental, isn't it? But it's yeah, but it is. It's, 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 it's like more it's than just pretty words but... about something. It's a distillation <laughs> of like for me, it just feels like a, a very sort of potent or distillation of a wider yeah. issue, a way yeah. of portraying something artistically that speaks more profoundly about a subject, perhaps. No, I think I would agree with you, and I think that more than literature generally, poetry is about compression. So it's really kind of like you said, distillation, but you know, crystallization as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about the leaving out. The leaving out is as important as the inclusion. What you say and what you don't say. So the, the white, the white space on the page is that is important. You know, the pauses and the unsaid part. I think that's what makes it poignant. You know, it's not necessarily profound. Poetry can be literally about anything. It can say anything as long as somebody recognizes. You know, that's what makes it come to life. The poem comes to life. With the, when the reader recognises something in it, some sort of truth or shared experience. Mm. But I think sometimes po- poetry goes deeper usually than than literature generally with that kind of um, more reflective or yeah uh, emotional. For me, I, I think it means something different for everyone really sure. because it depends on your preferences and what you're looking for in it. Like you say, it's a mirror. What do you see in it? You can see what you want to see or you're looking for something. You don't come at it completely blank. Um, but for me, that, it has a real power emotionally yeah, you know, to, hold, to hold a lot of things. Yeah, I, I think emotion. it's like a higher art form to me because I think anybody can rattle mm. off a book with hundreds of thousands of words, but it's in choosing select words and arranging them in a sequence that makes us feel and emotionally connect to something. It's in, yeah. an impossible task. I don't know how poets yeah. do. I have such admiration oh. that you can choose, cherry pick words and present them in such a way that people will feel emotionally moved or moved, they'll feel something. That's there's such an art form to that. Um, oh, it's, thank it's you. Well, like, I like out, isn't it? That you. <laughs> Oh, well, I find it hard to be, like you say, churning out words. I find that hard, actually. So really? Oh, I, I think like, anyone can rattle out, you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of words. I mean, we can all speak, you know. We're all, I find in this society, we're all nowadays, everybody's very good at expressing opinions and mm. putting their voice out there and their words out there. But it's actually what we leave out and the refinement of those words that is a harder... Yeah more more um just contains more finesse I think well, it's a different it's a different approach I think yeah. that's what I love about the arts is that it's not black and white you know that yeah. um you know some people I artists I know say you know who do amazing photorealistic pictures they say well it's not original 
like, but this is amazing that you can do this. To me, it's not like there's not one superior. No, but, no. I, I do know what you mean about this. It's a certain kind of portrayal. It's a certain kind of um, expression mm. that can be very touching. The more prosaic can be very transporting. You know, I, yeah. I was reading Margaret Atwood's uh, book of interviews recently. And she, you know, because she moves between poetry and, and, and novels, she was saying that you can do things in a novel that you can't do in a poem. True. You know, she was she was saying novel, the benefits yeah. of both. Yeah. So. And I yeah. think we connect to poetry, don't we? And that's why at, at profound times of our life, like births and deaths, we choose to read poems. Yeah. So how, on that subject, do you, you must get a lot, like you said, you get a lot of requests of people wanting, oh, do you remember this poem or what the name of this poem is? Do they come to you often with just, like one or two lines from the poem or, or a sentence, yes. something they remember. How do you begin to distinguish and, and narrow it down and locate? You know, you're like poetry finders, aren't you? How yes. do you go and find yeah. great it's very challenging. books you have? There's been different resources over the years. So people can come to us with, with a wide spectrum of things. So they might say, I remember this poem about planets and it moved through the planets. And I think it was by a female author and it was for children. So it might be sort of a general impressionistic picture like that. Or sometimes they can they can quote the whole poem and they just say, well, who was this by? So it can be, or they might have a particular phrase. They might have a combination of those things. They might have a phrase they remember and they know what the story was about, but they don't know who it was by or, or what era it was from. Yeah. So it can be like a huge, you know, it can be a huge range of inquiries that we get. We used to, we used to have volumes, you know, you go over to the, the set of, indexes and go and look up but now we've got online databases we've got three that we use um the columbia grangers is one of the more more well-known ones so they're, they're literature generally not just poetry mm. so we can do things like we can say you know this is a female poet from this era and we're looking for a poem about planet so there's different combinations and permutations you can use to, to look for a particular poem but we i do find that google books really it's pretty good but and also just asking our colleagues asking each other yeah i'm sure sometimes, sometimes you know that is actually better than just a word of mouth and a conversation yeah yeah yeah, yeah. recall what the what the hardest thing you ever had to narrow down did somebody come in and say oh i remember a poem about a daffodil and then you've managed to find it or something like that what's been the vaguest <laughs> thing you that sort of uh, hunts that you've had to do somebody sent me lines from a poem oh this was the one about the grandfather the grandfather's funeral it was re- quite recent but he paraphrased it. it he didn't couldn't give me the exact poem he 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 gave me lines as he remembered his grandfather saying it so they weren't exactly right so i was searching for the he gave me it was about two verses of about 10 lines each were and I couldn't so I put it into the databases nothing was coming back so I started to have to think about strategy so I used the end the end words the rhyming words at the end of the line because I thought well they're bound to be right because they're rhyming yeah. so I put those in and still nothing was coming back so I just tried different combinations of those rhymes and I, I found it in on Google Books and it was actually part of a transcript that the American, I think it was in the, the 19th century, that the American politicians had used in the US House of Congress. 
So they were um, commemorating, they were, they were paying tribute to another politician who had died. And this, this two, these two verses, again, it didn't say who'd written them, but they were just there. You know, they'd been read out in, in American oh. Parliament in, in tribute to this colleague of theirs. Oh. So I was able to send it to him and say, this is the poem you're looking for that your grandfather loved. I don't know who it's by, <laughs> and, but this is where I found it. So, oh, but he was really, really pleased because okay. he said, now I can read it at a funeral. Oh. So it almost really didn't matter that I didn't really know who it was by. It doesn't matter. It was the words. He just wanted the, the words. The words. And did yeah. he read that at his grandfather's funeral then? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So as I know, he said he'd say my week, he said. <laughs> but, okay. How rewarding. Because, so what, he yeah. just had vague memories of his grandfather's saying these words but not yeah child, but not really remembering where it was from or anything like that no it wasn't written down he had made notes of the of what his grandfather said and I said as I said they weren't it wasn't verbatim it wasn't yeah. but I could recognize in these lines that it was the same poem what an intensely yeah. satisfying experience that was <laughs> because you were able to give him something that he could in a way that he could connect to his grandfather and make sense of it and read at his funeral that's yeah. incredible yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it's lovely. A good day in the office, yeah. that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's I know. It's not often in life, you know, on a day-to-day day, you go, oh, I've really, really enriched someone's life today, but that actually... Yeah, it's, a real, it's a real privilege. I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. If you have any questions or comments about any of the topics raised in our conversation, or perhaps you have a story you'd like to share, then do get in touch via my website, Facebook or Instagram, details of which are all listed on the podcast. Thanks for listening.